Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Man, who thought Rocky Balboa could preach? All right. Hey, good to have you guys here with us today. I am honored to be up here preaching the word with you. Pastor Larry, Jeannie, Laurel, Cindy, everybody's gone, it seems like today. No, we're still here in the house. We're having a good morning. And uh, I knew a few weeks ago back that uh, I was going to be able to speak. And man, I was sitting there and it's open mic because we're not in a series right now. We just finished up our family series. That was a great series that we did. We're getting ahead in a new one um, next week. And man, I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, what can I talk about? And so I want you to know, I've been, I've been stirring on this thing for about three or four weeks. And the message, of my title of my message today is called The Fight. I want you guys to take some good notes today. First of all, I want to start out with this. Any of you all ever had a bully in school? Raise your hand. I'm raising mine. I had a bully. Okay. Confession time. Any of you, were you a bully in school? <laughs> You're like, maybe. Yeah. And you're, you're poking, yeah, you're the one that was bullying me in school. No, um, I had a bully in school. Middle school middle school years are awkward, okay? I did middle and high school ministry years ago and then did young adult ministry. And I thought middle school students were very awkward to work with because it's awkward years, okay? It's just that you're in that transition mode from childhood into adulthood and you're in this weird state where you're... Mind is still thinking like a kid in some ways, and your body's growing overnight, and it's just craziness. And so I was, uh, when I was in 6th, 7th, 8th grade, those were some crazy years. Um, by 7th by grade year, uh, my voice was starting to change a little bit, but I was still this real dorky little guy. And for some reason, bullies are always 50 pounds heavier and about 6 inches taller than you are. And I had this guy, and he started harassing me like crazy. It was just, it was nonstop insane. Uh, and I, I didn't take up for myself. I was very insecure in who I was. And so here I am walking around and dealing with this guy. And I'd rush to my locker and get my books because my locker was right beside him. And I'd go to class and I'm sitting there in science class and he's in there with me and just nonstop. So anyway, that was, that was a difficult year. Well, it ended up next year we were, we were apart from each other because I was at a different school. He was at a different school. So we didn't see each other. Then senior year rolls around in high school and I'm back, first day of school, walk out in my parking lot and I see this guy. And I'm like... Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm running into him again. And little do you know, I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this year's going to be great. This guy walks up to me and he says, well, 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 look what we have here. Aaron's back. He said, you ready for another year of suffering? I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, really? I haven't seen you in four years, five years almost, and you're wanting to start something now? And I was mad. I was so hot at that point. I had grown up a little bit more, got more confident in myself, was exercising, working out a little bit because I was a scrawny guy, and I was like, i got to do something about that. And I remember looking at him. I said, "Um, bring it. I'm ready. You want some suffering? I'm going to give you some suffering. And so I was ready, man. I was sitting there like this. (laughs) I was like, like, I I was doing all this before anything was happening. And he looked at me, and he's like, we're cool, man. We're cool. (laughs) Okay. And that was it. He never, he never bothered me again the rest of the year. And I walked away going, oh, gosh, I'm so glad it's over with. <laughs> but I never had to deal with him again. I stood up to the bully, and it was, it was over and finished. Um, so I, I say all that to say this. Life sometimes feels like it's bullying us. 
It really does. We get hit with things that come after us all the time, and it's just like, what is going on? Why is this happening to me? Or you, you find yourself just falling flat on your face and picking yourself back up, and it's like, man, the grind, the, the difficulties that we go through. And so when I was, uh, I, I realized we're in this moment here where we're in between two series, and I was talking to Pastor, and I was like, this is something I feel like we need to talk about because the world around us right now is crazy. There's things going on right now that is just, it, it, it's really hard. It, it boggles the mind. And like I said, life can be hard, but in light of even what we see in our country right now, uh, the world around us seems like we, we're seeing a moral decay. Families are struggling to survive and stay together. We get massive shootings that are going on, and we're sitting there pointing fingers saying, well, it's because of this and it's because of that, and if we'd have more rights here and less rights over here and this and that and everything else, and I'm like, hold on a minute. Stop just for a moment because it, it can get heavy. It can get hopeless, but I'm hoping today you guys will see things maybe in a different perspective or maybe to bring awareness back to something you heard years ago and you're like, okay, yeah, this is starting to make sense. Um, I love C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors reading this stuff, very deep stuff. He says, enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. But I got good news for you this morning. I'm going to give you some good news up front. God has made you, God has made us, placed us here on earth for a great cause and part of a story that's unfolding. We are in a story. We're, we're probably near the last few chapters of the story that God has, has brought together. And we're in that. God has created us to be intimate allies, to join him in this great battle we call life. And it is a battle, right? <laughs> yeah. So there is a battle going on, and we either are in the battle fighting, or we're getting taken out, or maybe we're not even aware of it. And when I find if we're not aware of it, we either bend towards self-righteousness or just apathy, complacency. We're just checked out. And if we're in a battle, then who or what are we fighting against? I think we're fighting against our flesh. Paul even says, you know, I want to do these things, and I end up doing something else instead. And so we have that tension, that struggle inside of us because we're still clothed with the sinful nature, this flesh that's around us. On the inside, we want to be different makers. We want to do something different. We don't want to do the things of the world, but we end up that, in that battle going on in the flesh. And then we're battling the world around us, the craziness that can ensue in your home, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, beside your neighbor, with your neighbor. <laughs> you know, it, and then also there's another one that we don't talk about a lot. Seems like, especially in this day and time, we just don't go there, and that's hell itself. We're battling hell itself. William Gurnoff says, it's the image of God reflected in you that so enrages hell. And it is this at which the demons hurl their mightiest weapons. So now we're, here's the thing, we're, we're not in the Christmas season right now, but I see Christmas wrapped up in this story. I know that you're probably thinking, where's he going with this? But I want to take you to Revelations 12 this morning. Go ahead and turn there. But I see a battle that's unfolding in the Christmas story. I came, I read uh, several books and several things, and Scripture took me years ago in this. And I look at Christmas a little different than the nativity scene now. We always think of that, the warm fuzziness of, of way in a manger, no crib for his head. You know, we know that very well. Um, this is true, but it's also a little deceiving, and only part of the story. So I want you to look at Revelations 12. You guys can stand up this morning. I'm reading from the NIV. It says this, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, 
with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Let's pray. God, help us to understand your word in a new way today. And help us, Lord, to know that we're in a battle and a fight that we can win. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. How would you like to see this on the front of a Hallmark card? <laughs> I've never seen a Christmas card quite like this right here. But Philip Yancey calls the birth of Christ the great invasion, a daring raid by the rulers of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. Spiritually speaking, this is no silent night. This is D-Day. This is a battle that's unfolding, and as a Christian, we've got to realize that we live in parallel worlds. Sometimes I think we get caught up so much in the tangible, physical world around us, we don't realize there's a spiritual world as well. We, we hear it, people preach about it, but do we really live that way daily? Because there's other, other uh, things that consist of angels and, and sinister forces and the whole spiritual realm. And the story here, this child is born, which is representing Jesus Christ, the woman escapes, and the story continues like this in uh, verse 17. Same chapter, Revelation 12, down to 17. It says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. We are the offspring of Jesus Christ, and he hates you. The enemy hates you. He despises you. And he wants to see you lose in life. So behind the world and the flesh is an even more deadly enemy that I want to talk about today. Because we need to live here and understand these worlds. We need to understand the physical and the spiritual world that we're in and surrounded by. And so I want to give you guys some, just some practical tools today. Hopefully, at first we'll start with some awareness. And at the end, I want to give you some practical tools of how you can walk in victory. So the uh, first thing you guys can turn over here, we got on the back of your um, bulletin today. First one is the enemy strategy. Stage one starts with deception. Deception. The enemy's first line of attack is always this. I'm not here. I'm not here. You're imagining this. It's all on you. And you can't fight a battle if you don't think it exists. It's true. And there may be, some of you thinking today, you're coming in here like, where is he going? This is the craziest stuff I've ever heard. Devil, all this stuff, you know, battles, wars going on in the spiritual realm. You may think it's a little weird. You may think it's a little creepy. But it is real. It is real. Scripture gives us good evidence of what this whole thing is about. And some people don't want to acknowledge there's a devil at times. And you have a hard time even going there. And I'm not saying we have to look for a devil under every 
rock in every situation we go through. Sometimes we just have bad things happen. Sometimes God allows certain things to happen in our life to draw us closer to him. But there is an enemy that wants to take you out. And I know it seems like sometimes it's more of a stretch for people to think of a, uh, a devil than it is even a higher power. Yeah, I can go there. I can believe in a God. But a devil, you know, that's just kind of strange for me. Some people just don't want to believe there's a devil. But the funny thing is they're quick to blame God for evil. So what is your reasoning for the evil in this world? That's something you have to process. You have to get to to say, okay, well, then if there isn't a devil, then why is all this stuff going on that's against what God stands for and his love? If your faith helps you believe in God, why is it such a stretch to believe in an opposing force to God? First uh, Peter 5, 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour I should circle that word, devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So what is this passage right here assuming about your life? Again, Satan hates you. You're under spiritual attack. He's saying to fight back, to take a stand, be aware, and do something about it. Here's the thing, guys. If we had someone coming in, attacking our family, attacking our children, would we just sit back and go, oh, man, this is horrible. I can't believe this is happening. I hope things change. Of course not. You'd be getting your gun. You'd be taking your your arms up ready for battle. You'd be taking someone out, lights out, okay, on that person. They come into your house trying to take something from you, trying to take someone from you. You would fight back at that moment. But what's interesting is that a lot of times when it comes to these kind of talks, these kind of things, we just get complacent. We kind of check out. We just don't want to go there. But if we step back and do nothing, the enemy wins. He wins. He simply loves to blame everything on us to get our feelings hurt, to get us feeling hurt, misunderstood, resentful toward one another, pointing the fingers at each other. He always accuses us and has us point the fingers elsewhere instead of at him. He's, he's very deceitful in that way. I want you to take marriage, for example. It, and, and this is a guy that's coming from raised with five marriages that did not work out with my mom, okay? Marriage in this day and time is going through an all-out assault. And you know why I think that is? It's a metaphor, a walking parable of the gospel, and Satan hates it. He wants to destroy it. He'll do everything he can to destroy, divide, conquer it. And he'll point fingers. He'll get you pointing the fingers at the other person. Well, it's because of you. It's because of this. And they don't realize that sometimes, hey, it may be a spiritual attack. There's an enemy that wants to destroy what God has made good. But before an effective military strike can be made, you must take out the opposing Army's line of communication. Guys here at certain military, you understand this. And Satan will try to jam our communication with headquarters. A couple ways I see him doing this is busyness. Busyness. Commit yourself to prayer for two weeks and all will break loose in your life. I'm serious. It, work will get crazy. You'll get slammed with new projects. Conflict will come at your home. You'll have a wandering mind. Just a simple cloak of confusion. Busy, 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 busy. And we live in a busy, busy time. And it seems like it gets busier and we just don't find that moment in time to really step back and be aware and then dig in and spend time with God. 
But he also can get us on another end, boredom. I think it's so funny when kids just say, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. Uh. I'm like, go run around in the street or something. I'm like, you know, I mean, there's no reason why we should be bored. I'm like, hello? <laughs> you know, we've got so much at our fingertips. But there's an interesting story in the scriptures of boredom. When did King David fall? He wasn't a warrior anymore. He was bored. He sent others to do the fighting for him. He was bored, fat, and lazy, and he was strolling around on the rooftop looking for something to do, and he's just like, oh, look, hey, there's Bathsheba. Well, hello, and the rest is history. Do not let your idle mind drift. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Stage two, the enemy will use intimidation. Intimidation. You ever been intimidated? Man, I was intimidated when I had this bully when I was a kid, and I'm looking at him like this. He said, I'm going to beat you down. And I'm like, ah, yeah, you probably will. If you remember the show Wonder Years with uh, Fred Savage, Kevin is his name, that was me. I, had this, I did have big hair at one time, trust me, okay? And I was just a little dorky little kid walking around and have a clue. And, uh, yeah, I was, in, I was intimidated by that bully. Couldn't ignore him, but I did want it to stop. But the enemy of our soul will use intimidation. And the enemy, once he's discovered, he doesn't just roll over and go away without a fight. If he realizes you believe in him, then he will turn toward another tactic, and that's intimidation. I find he comes after us in several ways. Our identity is one. And he'll, find, he'll also try to find a weakness. In our identity, when, when Christ is assaulted by the evil one in the wilderness, the attack starts ultimately at his identity. If you look at Luke 4, that whole passage of Scripture, and there's 13 verses, he says, if you are the Son of God, he sneers at him three times, then prove it. He goes after the identity. we got to know who we are in Christ. And the other area is weakness. He'll probe a weak spot. And we're kidding ourselves if we don't think we have weakness, if we don't have weak areas. I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to know now the weak areas of my life, and how to steer clear from those areas. Okay, every one of us has them in different ways. We have them, we will, and he will try and throw a thought or a temptation toward us in hopes that we will swallow it. It's like bait. Here, natch on, latch onto that one right there. Gulp. Know your weak areas. We have to know who we are in Christ and know our weak areas. And here's the catch. He really fears you. He really fears you because when we see the power we have in Christ and that he is defeated through our allegiance with him, he has lost. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yet he's going to try and keep you from taking a stand and he'll move from a subtle seduction to an open assault. Again, go back to marriages that we have ending, children without parents, depression, war, conflict in the world, and it even seeps into the church. It does. Churches that start out with life and vitality, and you see them today and they're barely hanging on, those churches didn't start that way. That would be a pretty sad church if it started that way. All right, let's get together and hang out a little bit. You know, have some fun, kumbaya. Yeah. No, those started with life and vitality and passion. They were connected to their source. And through time, something started hitting and beating them down as well, and it took them out. And we have to stand firm in our faith. 
and stop pointing at each other. And what I see, what we see a lot of times is people even using the name of God to make a statement, but it's really from the pit of hell. You have everything bombard you to keep you away from time with God, his word, his prayer, coming to service, you name it. Why is that? Because we are at war. We hear sometimes, well, when's the next war coming? We are already in war. We are already there. We are already there, and the enemy will use life and hit us hard. i gotta, I got to share this quote again from Rocky Balboa because it's so good. He says, it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward, that's how winning is done. So you have the enemy and his strategy. The second part is the ally's strategy. And this is where we're going to go for the rest here. The first stage is relationship. Our relationship with our commander. The enemy, what's interesting is the enemy tries to hide and our ally craves relationship. The enemy's saying, I'm not here, I'm not here. And Jesus is saying, come to me. <laughs> Hang out with me. It's like the total opposite going on there. We need to be devoted with our commander, our first in line. God is with us. God is for us. And he wants us to spend time with him. And if you would see your life as a great battle, and you knew you needed to spend time with God for your very survival, you would do it. Because this takes us from a stance of, yeah, I ought to spend time with God this week, but I just, it's been a tough week. To, I've got to, I must spend time with my commander or I am going to suffer. I am going to lose. I cannot make it in life without him. He is my source. He is my strength. He is my energy. Keep open lines of communication with God. Do whatever you can to bring your heart back to God daily. Daily. That's the whole point of a devotional life. It's a daily encounter with our power source, Jesus Christ. We need him every single day. And you've got passages of Scripture. We could go for hours talking of individuals here. I'll just pull a few out here. Joshua knew this. He saw this with Moses. He saw how God used Moses where his power came from, to see them come out of slavery and the, and the plagues and then the parting of the Red Sea and all these things happen. And the same God was with Joshua, the second generation after Moses, as they took down Jericho and every other enemy that came their way as they headed into the promised land. Jeremiah knew this. He says this, the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. And even Jesus walked in this promise. I mean, he was the perfect example for us. His ministry and the Holy Spirit that guided him as he went around healing, delivering those under the power of the devil, God the Father was with him. He always pointed everything back to his Father. He set the example for us. It's not me doing this. It's him working in and through me that's doing these things. He's not just with us, but he's fighting for us. Isaiah forty-two thirteen says, The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout, Yes! He will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. And Psalm 144.1 says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Stage two, weapons fight. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says, Paul states it clearly. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power 
to demolish strongholds. So I know there's some military guys who can do a better job in this than me, but a weapon is anything you can use that will destroy the enemy's ability to wage war against you. And in a spiritual sense, um, this weapon is anything we can use that will destroy Satan's ability to wage war against us. And with this definition in mind, I want to give you five uh, strategic weapons. You can put those in your notes today. Uh, things that I believe that can be very applicable, very easy for us to use. Because a lot of times we'll come in and we'll get information, information, information. And it's like, what do we do with this? Okay, there's a battle going on. Now what? So I want to give you guys some tools in your arsenal that's going to help you destroy the works of the enemy. Weapon number one. Some of these may surprise you. First one is forgiveness. When we forgive, and man, I've learned this in marriage. (laughs) Forgiveness is what's given us 12 and a half years of marriage. (laughs) It's walking in forgiveness. Because we all mess up, right guys? Ladies as well, yeah. When we forgive though, we destroy Satan's ability to wage war against us through anger, bitterness, and resentment. Because we're all going to get hammered by situations, by circumstances that are personal and painful. Very painful. Some are meant to derail us and discourage us. Jesus expects us, though, to have the same attitude toward those who hurt us as the same way and the same attitude he had toward those who crucified him. And that's hard. And we can't do that in our own power and strength. But with an attitude of forgiveness, we rob the enemy of the ability to wage war against us and pointing the fingers at others. Well, if you would have done this, I wouldn't have done that. Sounds like an eight-year-old. I'm dealing with that right now with my kids. Why are you hitting your brother? Well, he did this and he did that. Why are you hitting everybody? Well, he did this. Hey, you hit your brother, right? Yes, then take responsibility for you, okay? (laughs) Pray for me on that area. (laughs) Weapon number two, generosity. A generous spirit neutralizes and disarms selfishness. And it's one of the most powerful weapons I think we have as a Christian. We can become agents of love that are lavishly giving of ourselves to others being kind, being generous, regardless of what we get in return. We should be lavishly loving people, expecting nothing in return from them. Nothing. We shouldn't have a motive. And regardless of our differences, when it comes to race, when it comes to gender, and when it comes to orientation, we should lavishly give out and love people, regardless of what change or what we expect in return, we're not the Savior. We are just an instrument of light and love to a world that desperately needs to hear the message. And we are the lights of the world, and love and generosity will win over hate and judgment every single time. Weapon number two, generosity. Weapon number three, language. The tongue is sharp, and it is powerful. And the choice of our words can build up or tear down. And everyone seems to have an opinion these days. Um, Opinions are like armpits. We all have them, and most of them stink. It's just a fact. 
If I get up here and go opinion, it's nothing. I'm taking everything that I'm giving you today, and I'm looking at it, and it's, it's, it's centered on the Word of God. It's centered on Scripture. Well, I believe, da 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 No, I'm not going there. I'm not tracking with that. The Word of God says, and it says the tongue is a weapon. And so, but what's interesting is everyone has an opinion and something to say now. We have this platform of social media, and it seems in this day and age, we hear more negative language than ever, even from some that claim to be Christian. I want you to hear uh, in the message, I like the way it says it in the message. In James 3, 5, it says, It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up and smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. And as I get older, I've learned that uh, tone, body language, our words amplify loudly to people. And it's something we have to be intentional with every day. Because if you look at uh, counseling and just I've looked at some of those areas and stuff and just looking at different studies. And studies show that one positive word cannot offset a negative word. You can't sit there and say, you look fat in that, but you're beautiful today. I mean, I know that's a gross analogy, but, you know, I mean, we can't sit there and say, hey, your breath smells a little bit, but your shoes look awesome. Are they going to think about their shoes or the breath? Yep, they're going to be thinking about the breath, <laughs> obviously. It isn't a one-to-one ratio. Most of the time it's a three-to-one ratio. To offset one negative, we have to say three positive words. It shows you how powerful. And in close, intimate relationships, a lot of times it's a five-to-one ratio. And so why is that? Because our brains are actually more sensitive and responsive to unpleasant news. And that's why personal insults or criticism hit us harder, because they stay with us longer. So what does the enemy do? He hits us hard with words that push us into a pit and drown us in despair. You're hopeless. You're worthless. You have no potential. Why don't you just end your life right now? That is from the pit of hell itself. That is not from God. Understand and recognize what that is. You are a son and daughter of the Most High God. He loves you. Recognize that. Recognize that negative voice for what it is. And we need to use the word of God. We need to believe it. We need to live it out for ourselves and for others. Romans 5, 8, it gives us a great example of this. God demonstrated his own love for us by what? While we were still sinners, he died for us. Believe it. Share it with others. Our language speaks volumes. Fourth, wisdom. Weapon number four is wisdom. Wisdom gives us the ability to see life from God's perspective and make better and different decisions. Um, I'll be honest, when I was journaling years and years ago, this was before Jen, I went through a season when I journal. I go through some of those seasons, and I journaled actually in our process of moving here. I stopped when we moved, (laughs) but uh, I remember looking back in the past year and a half how things unfolded to get us where we are here in Charleston now, but back in 2000, 2001, I was journaling, feeling a call into ministry full-time, and I started writing stuff out, and I was like, oh God, I want you to find me a lady one day, and and writing all this stuff out. And I remember when I proposed to Jen, I did a good, I was, I was pretty suave, guys, yeah. 
Now, I, I went up in Roanoke, Virginia, up in the mountains, and there's a big star that overlooks Roanoke, and we went up there, and I got one of those Build-A-Bears and uh, wrapped the engagement ring around the, the um, leg, took her up there. We got lost on the way, but that's another story. But we got up there finally, um, and we get there, and I get down on one knee, and I was like, hey, baby, will you marry me? And she's like, oh, yeah, and we're like, yeah, and I'm like, woo, you know, and she said, I never told you this. She said, uh, in my journals last year, I wrote down in the same season there that uh, you had told me about you losing your mother. And God spoke to me in those moments and said, pray for your future spouse. We hadn't even met each other yet. And I was sitting there, and she told me that, and I was like, I mean, I lost it. I was gone at that moment. But what I realized is, is that we a lot of times try to make hasty decisions on our own without ever asking him what he thinks. Should I go to this school? Should I marry this person? Should I get this job? Should I make this money? Should I, should I go to this church? And we, we talk with other people, and that's fine to get, you know, interaction with other people. It's good to have a good, godly, wise counsel. King Solomon says the way of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. It's good to have that, but we need to be receptive and listening to God and getting wisdom from him and even praying and asking for that. God, I want your wisdom. I want your ways. What do you have for me? Before I make hastily uh, decisions or make things that are not of you, make decisions that are not of you. So do we thirst after God's wisdom or try to handle it our own way? It is okay to, uh, to gain insight and advice from others, but if God is not at the center of that advice, you need to stick clear of it. But we need more wisdom in this day. Last weapon is community. Community. Luke 10.1 says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Every branch of the U.S. military operates on a, a, the same kind of principle, a two by two that Jesus used. Every ranger has a ranger buddy. Every seal has a swim buddy. Every aviator a wingman. Soldier has a foxhole buddy. Marine has a fire team. The military never sends someone off to battle alone. They use this principle here, this at least two by two at a minimum. And as Christians, we should understand that Jesus intends for it to be the same way with us. That when we fight the spiritual battle, God never intended for us to fight it alone. Life is better connected. Let me say it again. Life is better connected. We need each other. If you're in this church and you feel alone, don't be. Now you may think that's harsh, but you don't have to be. When I came here at this church last year, I talked with pastor, and I was like, what are we going to be about? What's, what's, what's faith about? Where are we moving forward? And we want to become a church. We want to be a church that's solely about groups. We're a church of groups. That's who we are. And I, I see that in a smaller knit community with people, small groups work because you're only going to get so deeply connected here but in a circle with other individuals, you're going to brush shoulders with, you're going to interact with them, you're going to get deeper conversations with them, and you're going to have that community. And we need that. Getting together with others in our spiritual journey, learning to walk in victory together. When you're down, you're not out, you're not alone, you have others there with you to help you. And there's been many times in my walk, many times in the years where I felt alone, but at that moment I had people I could call upon and engage with and interact with. And it's vital for us to have relationships with each other. If we don't have relationships in this kind of setting right here, 
We've missed it. We've missed it. I'll be honest. We have that. We need that. We are, we are wired for relationship with each other. And the weapon of community, what it does is it destroys Satan's abilities to divide and conquer, to get you isolated, where he can take you out. Community provides protection. It gives us another set of eyes and ears, accountability, and more. Community disarms the enemy and sets us up for victory. So don't battle alone. Do not fight by yourself. Sometimes we are facing a battle ourselves, but we don't have to live in a lifestyle of isolation. We need accountability and warriors that will fight with us. When my mother passed away, I found myself, I shut everything down. I shut church down. I shut, my, I shut down my Christian relationships. I shut it all down. I did not want to talk to anybody. I was angry with God, and I shut myself off from the world, and I isolated myself. And I found, found myself in a very dark, dark, depressed place that I'd never even experienced before Christianity. And so I realized we need each other. We need each other. I can't say it enough. Do not go through life by yourself. Guys, you need an accountability partner, someone that's going to come alongside you, another man that's going to help spur you on, help you through those tempting times, help you walk in victory as a father and as a husband. Women, the same thing. Women, it's easier a lot of times. It's like women can get in the car and go down the road, and it's like 10 minutes. They know each other's life. I don't understand it. Guys, we don't look at each other eye to eye like girls do. It's like, oh, la, 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 la. And guys are like, hey, man, what's up? Yeah, what's up? How you doing, man? Yeah, life's good. Yeah, basketball. (laughs) <laughs> That's where we go a lot of times. Community is so important. So I, I give you these weapons today because I believe we need to put these weapons to use. I'll go through them one more time with you to make sure you have them because I think it's so important. Forgiveness, generosity, language, wisdom, and community. And just like in war, God has provided us weapons to use and armor to wear. And I want to take you in closing, uh, closing this morning to Ephesians 6. But it means that God has given us armor, and we should put this armor on daily. People going to war don't walk around like they are at the beach with T-shirt and shorts on, okay? Sometimes, though, we go through a spiritual life like all we have is a bottle of suntan lotion to do something with. It's like God has given us the armor of God to place upon us. And Ephesians 6, starting at verse 13, says this, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith that which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.